Welcome to Shofar Ronnebosch Sermon Podcast. We trust that today's message will edify and strengthen your faith. Along with a couple of people from our church, they're ministering there at the pole, Shofar. Um, I want to ask before we start this morning, um, who was at intercession this past week? I want to ask a couple of people, sorry? It was very early. <laughs> it is very early, that's correct. Um, Kat, can I ask you, would you, I didn't prepare Kathleen, but would you just come up and just share just one or two things maybe that stood out, just helping us sort of conclude what is God saying to the church currently? No pressure, just <laughs> whatever comes up. But um, our monthly intercession, um, are you ready? Yes, no? Kathleen's always ready. Um, yeah, obviously, in a, in a morning like that, God speaks a lot. I think the big thing that came out is just God's um, heart to speak to us when we come together um, in unity. Unity was a, a massive word that, that came out. Um, and um, we actually had like just such an incredible experience just of, of God's presence and things He was showing us in the Spirit um, when we started to pray in the spirit together and especially there was this moment where we took hands together and um, there was just like incredible feedback what people were saying what they saw in the spirit um, what happened there just how God was sending down waterfalls and commanding angels to unlock things and loose things and everything but just the the whole key that came out of it was um, how God became to move when we came together in unity um, so it, it definitely is hard for that was is 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 for that for us to pray together um, and to seek his face together and then to 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 um, uh, call on him together um, and he and then and then the second thing so that was there were the two things that came out was just that um, he is all powerful um, and just that place of not getting stuck in relying on our own abilities and our own resources but that. He actually showed us at a point that we've got everything we need, but we now just need to call on him to, for it to begin to be released um, to, um, to the, for what he wants to come and do in, around observatory and in Cape Town. But he's, he's, he, he, it was like he was actually waiting for us to say, Jesus, Lord of heaven, armies, command your angels to release the blessing. And, um, and we, we got a glimpse of that as we prayed and um, of him releasing his angels and they started being activated. But he was, he was waiting for us to, to summon the angels to begin to work. So he's ready to work on our behalf. He's just waiting for us to pray. <laughs> amen. Let's say amen to that. Thanks, Kat. Amen to that. Thanks, Kat. So join us at intercession once a month, last Wednesdays. Um, but I want to just agree with that. I believe God, especially this morning as well, the word I want to share is that God is causing a shift in us. Um, God is always moving. Jesus says Jesus is, is busy. Um, and God's timing is very specific. And sometimes God would just cause us to just shift the new gear. And so I want to share this morning, a couple of weeks ago, I felt um, that Nyasha must come and sing his song. Who was at that service or at Songs of the Prophets? Uh, the song that he sang uh, about Talita Kumi, a little girl, I say to you, rise. Um, and I didn't even, I didn't speak to anyone about it. I just asked Nyash, would you, would you please play the song in the morning service? And after the service, Liana said, the previous week, when she was at the evening service, she had felt the same at the evening service. And so she asked Nyasha to come and sing the song. Um, and... We didn't speak to each other, but we both felt the same. We almost felt like, you know, there's something through this song. There's a message that this song carries that we need to receive. Um, and I want to follow up on that and actually just lay it out a bit more, expound on what the song says and I believe what it means to us and the message that it carries. Um, and, you know, when God speaks, He makes it happen. You know, you and I don't need to make it happen. His word determines what happens. His word is uh, self-containing. It has the capacity to perform what it needs to perform. So I want to just read some of the lyrics of the song. Most of you know the song. Um, 
Little one, I say to you, rise. Little flame, I say to you, rise. Little bird, I say to you, rise, rise up. Fearless in love, we stand undefeated. Up from the dust, we rise up. We can't be held down. We sing a song, we're alive. We're the beloved of God, this we are. We are the beloved of God. Um, the chorus, continuously, then it says, uh, Seasons of growth come and go like everything else. I will rejoice and be glad. Your ways are greater. A day at a time, we are changed into the image of God, this we are. Then it's another chorus. And then again, we are the beloved of God. So basically the song, and we know the context of the story where Jesus speaks to the little girl and he says to arise, raised from the dead. It's the first occurrence of someone um, being raised from the dead um, in the Gospels. But that, that particular phrase, little bird, um, I felt God just highlight to us at this moment. Um, and that, that, that illustrates... As, as sort of a weakness, as sort of a place that we take in um, in this life where we really depend on God. Um, I shared a couple of weeks ago, um, I really, I'm growing. I've always been enjoying the, the version devotionals. Yeah. I think, uh, I think we, we're having a, quite a good um, community growing together. We're still in the um, season of growing in our value of knowing God. We'll always continue in that value but we're very specifically, intentionally um, doing this. And so uh, um, Emily rebuked me this morning and said, uh, not just 30 days, but we're going to do 365. So I don't know if there's anyone, any amens on that. Um, Johannes, okay, we can, so we can keep you accountable. And <laughs> okay, you can keep me accountable as well, Johannes. We'll do that. Um, so this, this is a really powerful image, you know, Sometimes God requires participation on our behalf. Um, other times God just comes and he says, okay, it's now time for a shift. You know, I'm going to move on your behalf, right? The, the, the Israelites could be in the desert for so many years, and then one day God decides, okay, now it's my timing. Now this is my will, this is what's going to happen. Or the Jews were captive in Egypt, and then God decides, okay, now, right? It's sovereignly... His choice, and he decides. Um, but there's something that really helps, because when the Jews were captive in Egypt, it says that they cried out, right? There's a certain stance, I don't know why, but it says they were, 400, they were captive for 400 years. Someone joked once and said, why did it take them 400 years to cry out to God? Perhaps if they cried out earlier, God would have responded earlier. Um, so... What I'm getting at is that there's a certain posture that you and I can take in that would agree with God. So again, the same with the Jews in the desert. Um, they could have been in the desert for just a couple of weeks. But because they took the wrong posture, they were stuck in the desert for 40 years. What was that wrong posture? You can remember. Moaning, complaining, right? And so... Um, we see that that's what they, that's the posture they took on. And, and um, so we're discussing with some of the leaders this week, but there was a stage where God said to Moses, initially he was walking amongst the people, but then God said, come out from the people and walk in front of the people. Because God knew that if Moses were to stay amongst the people, the moaning of the people would eventually rub off on him and cause him to be depressed, right, and to act in, out of such a place. In fact, it did actually happen a little bit later, and he was severely judged that he couldn't go into the promised land. But, but this particular case, God said to him, walk in front um, so that you can effectively lead the people of God, right? So I've stolen, I've stolen Nyasha's song um, as the title for this morning. Um, and obviously... The, 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 the theme for this message this morning is, is that of resurrection. Um, and when Jesus chooses to resurrect, he doesn't do it on anyone's behalf because the person on the other side cannot do anything. You get the point, right? If it's a Lazarus, he can't do anything to participate with God's word. He just simply receives God's word, right? Sometimes I think we get so, so into a... 
a works-based relationship with Jesus that we think it's all about doing. Sometimes it's just about receiving, right? And so um, I'm really trusting that this little bird concept, this concept of weakness, um, Kathleen actually prayed it in a prayer this morning. She said, men are like grass. 1 Corinthians 1 says that God chooses the weak things of this world um, to shame the strong. He chooses the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. Psalm 103 verse says, but we are like dust, right? We are, um, although we are amazing in God, without God, we are but dust, right? We are, um, so it's, it's an understanding and a dependence on God, right? And so perhaps you're in a season of your life where you feel very confident and self-confident and you can achieve much. I'm still trusting that this morning, you would be able to reflect on the seasons of your life and realize that in certain seasons, I perhaps needed God a bit more than now. But actually, in a sense, we all need God, always. Even if it's in seasons that you're confident, right? Perhaps you're in a very season where you really, really need God every moment. Um, and that's, that's always a good place to be. Um, so what is the opposite of... Um, that image of that metaphor of little bird, right? What would opposites be, right? Um, what's your opposite? Roaring lion. Roaring lion. Roaring lion. King Judah. <laughs> well done, Jace. Um, <laughs> actually not, no. I think the opposite, so the, 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 the posture of being a little bird, metaphorically speaking, is a posture of great strength, right? Because this is a real, real reliance on God. Um, the opposite to me would be great strength in yourself, right? So um, strength from your own skills and your own abilities. And again, there's nothing wrong with your own skill set, your own abilities, but it's about the state of your heart. Amen. So I want to talk about, I want to use three illustrations from my week. Um, I had a quite an intensive week, and I want to use three illustrations to help us to sort of grasp um, these three um, factors behind all these illustrations. But I want us to just embrace that posture of, um, of seemingly weakness, but great strength. That's what Paul says, doesn't he? He says, in, in my weakness, he's strong. So it's an inclination towards God so that His strength can be um, revealed to us. So on Thursday, we had a, um, uh, some of the leaders in church had a serious doctrinal discussion um, about our encounter one. Um, we had realized that, you know, a lot of us have grown in terms of understanding Scripture. And there's obviously diversity of interpretation of Scripture um, diversity of understanding the Holy Spirit and the role of the Holy Spirit. And we decided it's really necessary to really just get unity around this. And so I want to share just a couple of thoughts, five thoughts that I had after this discussion, and you'll see how it ties into um, the little bird metaphor. So firstly, um, I realized that this doctrinal discussions are really important, right? Um, it says in the Scriptures that the apostles appointed... And deacons to serve the tables because it was really important for them to minister the word, right? And so they prioritized the doctrinal elements, the ministry of the word, as being important. And then secondly, also in the book of Acts, it says um, that they, the, the first believers devoted themselves to doctrine, right? They devoted themselves to go to house to house, communion. By the way, we're going to take communion. Kat, would you remind me, please? Always get too excited, then I forget about communion, but we're not going to forget this morning. Um, so, doctrine is important. That's the first point. The second point is, even though doctrine is important, it's not about how much you know, but God looks at the heart. Right? It's not about how much you know, but God looks at the heart. The third point, bad theology is really bad. <laughs> That's rocket science. 
But bad theology is really bad. If we get theology wrong, it sends us into a direction, and you don't have to look at Christian history to see a lot of bad examples of bad doctrine, right? You can look at all the sects, all the, the isms, all the, you know, and, and we're not talking about a couple of people, we're talking about millions, right? That have got, gotten doctrine horribly wrong, right? And, you know, today some of those um, that have, uh, you know, what, what often happens is people deify their doctrine. Their doctrine becomes more important than God. And then, the, you know, so, some of those movements are completely not even following God, right? So, I don't have to use examples. I'm sure we're all on that. But good theology, even though it's important, is still not enough, right? Bad theology is bad, but good theology, even though it is important, is still not enough. Listen to what Jesus says. This is the fourth point. Matthew chapter 22, verse 29. Firstly, before that, he says to the Pharisees, you search the scriptures because in them you think you have life, but you're unwilling to accept Jesus, right? You don't accept me. Even though you look at the scriptures, you search them for life, but you won't find life because you're unwilling to accept me, right? And then he says in verse 29, you are mistaken not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. So it says two things are important, both knowing the Scriptures and the power of God, okay? Not the one or the other, both are important. But let's just look for a moment, it says knowing the Scriptures, and the word for knowing there is the word ido, the Greek word ido, and ido is a combination of two other Greek words, optomai and haro. Optomai means eyes wide open right? Looking at the scriptures with eyes wide open, right? As opposed to spectacles, right? Eyes wide open um, and a voluntary observation, right? Not a compelled observation, but a voluntary observation. That's optimai. Haruo um, means to discern clearly, but it also includes experiencing, right? Experiencing the Word. How do you experience the Word? You put the Word into practice, right? So, um, when, it, when it says know the Word, you don't know the Scriptures, it's actually talking about experiencing the Word, right? Not just reading as in information, that is the first step, but the second step is experiencing the Word, as we live the word, we experience the power of the word. Amen. You see the difference. Jesus looks at the Pharisees, some real scholars of the word. They studied the word, but they didn't know the word. Right? They knew about the word. They didn't know the word. They didn't have that experience. Um, discerning clearly, voluntary observation, eyes wide open. And they didn't know the word as they ought to. Right. So, again, it's a dependence on God. Right? The Pharisees were self-dependent. Right? They were in charge of their lives. And then the other thing about the Pharisees is um, they minimized their own sin and maximized other sin. Right? Remember um, the adulterous woman? coming to Jesus, they, the Pharisees were the first one to bring her to Jesus, right? They wanted to stone her because of the law, right? And then Jesus turned it back to them and he said, he who is without sin, you throw the first stone, all right? And so they were maximizing her sin and minimizing their own sin until Jesus flipped it around and said, you without the first, you know, the first one without sin, you cast the stone. So they were forced, Jesus forced them to reflect inside to recognize, oh, actually, I've also got sin. And they all walked away. Right, so Scripture and our relationship with Scripture, even in that, it's um, from a place of dependency. Right, it's from a place of God is amazing and I'm dependent on God. Little bird, right? 
I'm not the master of the word. That's what the Pharisees were. They were the masters. And in fact, you know, we can see this all throughout Scripture. You know, actually church history. If you looked at the Roman Catholics before the Reformation, they were the masters of the word. They were in charge of the word. They were actually controlling the word. You know, until Martin Luther came and he, he set the word free so that all of us could, um, again, have the scriptures. So that's the first one. Second one, um, we're busy with the, um, uh, 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 a group of um, uh, event, a uh, crusade that's coming up called Love Cape Town. I'll show a video in a second. Um, but it's an it's a, it's a initiative um, by an evangelist from South America, Louis Palau, um, and African Enterprise. Um, and it's really amazing. It's, it's, um, we're gathering um, many of the leaders in churches in Cape Town. We had a meeting this week with over 600 pastors um, from all over Cape Town. And we, we're collectively trusting for, in November, and do several events, uh, for 300,000 people to come to this event and, and at least 100,000 making first-time commitments for Christ. So I think that's really amazing, um, a real awesome initiative to throw um, our weight behind. Um, and, you know, we're also obviously going to participate, but I think it's more than the participation. I think it's the collective working together, you know, of, of churches. And so, Armand, can you just play us a quick video? Um, okay, so play both videos, thanks. Then um, another really amazing um, blessing that I had this week, um, also to illustrate this. Um, who of you know um, Pastor Poncho? I think we've spoken about him a couple of times. Uh, we mentioned him a couple of times in the Songs of the Prophets. He was actually, we heard his story, and it so resonated with what we wanted to do at Songs of the Prophets um, that it inspired us to more. Um, you know, we thought initially Songs of the Prophets would be, you know, we always thought it would be for several churches, um, several uh, churches in Cape Town, not just our church. Um, but listening to his testimony about pitching up the tent, you guys know that story, um, and the whole of a city hearing God's word because he pitched his tent, we were inspired to, to more, to invite people from beyond just churches, but political people and, you know, people from all spheres of life. Um, any case, so, so this week um, we, we had heard that um, Pastor Poncho was in, he was going to be in Port Elizabeth. We were invited to a conference, Leona and I, uh, but we, we just, you know, weren't able to make it. It's next week and just clashed with a couple of things because we really wanted to meet this guy. We wanted just to say to him, you know, thank you, you know, for, for your story. And so... Um, I think it was Wednesday this week, um, we were, were having the Love Cape Town Pastors event, um, and uh, someone phoned us and said, hey, you know, you know, remember you told the story about Pastor Pancho, guess what, he was just here, um, it was one of the CCFM guys, and uh, she gave us his uh, number. And so, Liana just phoned him and said, hey, Pastor Poncho, can we, can we meet you? Can we chat? You know, and, um, you know, the guy hosting him said, well, you can, but only if you can make it to this meeting. Um, and we said, okay, what meeting? He said, no, the meeting, Love Cape Town. So, we said, it's fine, we'll already be there. Uh, so, we, we'll see you there. And so, we took Pastor Poncho for, for lunch. Um, I was really uh, blessed just to hang with him. Uh, really inspirational stuff, um, and I've heard some of the stories, but you know it's different to hear a story from the person's mouth who went through it. You know, I've heard a lot of stories about him, but hearing it from his mouth is, is quite different, and, and he told us about this, the, um, this story. So he pitched that tent, and you know, you know, the whole city became aware of what God is saying over the city, but also of Pastor Pancho. And the mayor contacted Pastor Poncho and said, Pastor Poncho, I've got this problem. Um, you know, the prison, um, which was quite a large prison, that 2,100 inmates. Um, 
was in a really difficult place to, to understate the problem. Um, there were two cartels that took over the prison. So he says it was so bad that um, the drugs that you could get in prison was cheaper than the drugs outside, right? Um, the guards were all involved and all bribed, and, you know, it was, it was really, you know, mess. Um, are we going to be able to see that video, Roman? Won't you play the Pastor Poncho video that I don't have to repeat the story? Go straight to Pastor Poncho. Pastor Poncho Murgia, along with his congregation in Ciudad Juarez, Mexico, is warring for the heart of their city. A city notorious for its high crime rate and drug cartels. The Lord spoke to my heart to, to do a fasting, a 21-day fasting. The mayor approached me about what can we do in the prison. And we found that 92% of the people were doing drugs. We found out that there was corruption uh, from the head of the prison to the lower part. We came at one day at midnight and we took over the prison. And we maintained and sustained that prison as a clean prison. It became known in the United Nations and they sent a team and they studied the whole thing and now it's becoming like a model. Right now the church in the prison is about 650 strong and we still have about 350 to 400 more people that are open to the gospel. He says, the, he says the prison was so wild that he was, um, he was standing just outside the prison and, and he heard this massive roar, right? And he was like, what, what is this roar? And um, so he asked someone next to him, he said, what is this? Um, he said, no, it's a tiger. Um, one of the inmates had a tiger and he had got it right to get the tiger in prison. That's, that's how wild the prison was. Um, crazy, crazy stuff. He said that after he went in, so, so this is the amazing story. God could use a, a, a pastor like Pancho. He's such a humble man. He's, he's so just, you know, I'm just serving God. I'm just following him. Um, and, you know, he, he, was just a, he was just a guy in a city they just said, God, use me. You know, God, you know, you know put up his tent. But anyway, so the mayor came to him and said, Poncho, um, you need to help us with the prison. And he says on the inside, he was like, but what do I know about prisons? <laughs> what do I know about, you know, all these things? And he says, the whole, com the whole army was under his command, right? This little pastor, he had no experience, no training, and he literally said, you know, he doesn't know, you know, he didn't know what to do. And so he said, well, let's arrest all 200 gods, you know, or let's arrest 200 of the gods. And um, the commander of the army was like, yes, sir. And he realized, you know, <laughs> they actually obey him. He said, um, if the church would have only obeyed him like the army would. <laughs> Any case, so they went in, took 200 of the gods captive, they they. They flipped, turned the prison upside down, went in, changed everything. I'm sure they took out the tiger. Um, and then suddenly there were 2,100 people that were going through withdrawal symptoms, right? Because obviously they had all been on drugs. But they were prepared for that. They had a whole medical team, and they flipped the prison upside down. As you saw, there's there 650 people that are worshiping God in that prison. Isn't that an amazing turnaround? And so they did several more things um, to flip around the prison. And so he's really um, done an amazing thing there. Can we have the Love Cape Town video? We're going in reverse today. I'm Fiance Poe. Hello, brothers and sisters. Andrew Palau here. This is Barry Isaacs here from Cape Town. Dumelang, Cape Town Church. G'day friends, it's a great joy. This is a call to all brothers and sisters in Christ to unite for the sake of the gospel in our great city of Cape Town. Let's meet you there. Every one of us, come and join us 
as we come together. We are inviting the church across the denominational lines, every culture, every one of us. The biggest outreach that I know of in the last 10 or 20 years. We need you to start praying for a friend who needs the Lord and then invite them to an event where they will encounter Jesus. God has called us to evangelize the cities of Africa through word and deed in partnership with the church. Africa Enterprise and Luis Palau teams taking hands. In November, book your diary because God wants to meet you. We will be having equipping sessions in the build-up to the November Love Cape Town City Fest. So you will be ready to join us in taking the gospel to the schools, hospitals, prisons, factories, marketplaces, and from door to door. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. The first event is in Mitchell's Plain, the second in Kyle and the third one in the garden in Cape Town. It's going to be awesome. Cape Town will never be the same. Do you show the video of uh one day we turn the contest you are now one day we dream of So guess who was the worship leader there? Matthew, yes. So there were about six hundred and fifty pastors on uh, Wednesday, um, which I think is a very unique event. I'm not aware of many of such events happening in Cape Town. Um, and in fact, um, when Angus Bucken came, I think it was last year, when was it? It's time? It was last year, right? He said that um, the Cape Town is one of the most divided uh, um, cities in terms of churches. Um, so this is really revolutionary. Um, one of the events that we're going to do at the Love, um, Love Cape Town um, campaign or outreach is what, they, what we call streets sweeping. So um, we're going to have big massive teams going into townships and just sweeping the places, sweeping the place clean. Um, and I thought it's such a, such a powerful prophetic act just going in and cleaning places. And um, so I'm, I'm really excited um, to see what God is doing um, in our city, um, much like what we saw in, in Juarez, uh, where the churches, you know, started working together. So I, I believe it's a, it's a real first fruit. Um, it's amazing that there is an aim and there will be a gospel message and there will be 100,000, according to our faith, um, salvations. But more than that, it's amazing that churches are starting to work together in Cape Town. And I think if we can just see that, Pastor Poncho says, um, they would literally just go to the mayor and say, Mayor, you know, what can we do in this city? You know, and then the mayor would say to them, okay, go clean a park. You know, then they would go and clean the park. And then he would they would come back and then he says, okay, now, you know, go and wash the streets. Then they would do very practical things and then... Very soon afterwards, the mayor realizes, no, but these people are serious. You know, they're not just, you know, doing a good job. Um, then he would, he would good, uh, call them to do, you know, massive things um, that would shift the, the police force and, and, and incredible things. In fact, one story that Pastor Pancho told, he says, um, they went to the, the head of police and they said, what, what can we do to help you? And he sort of laughed at them and he says, you know, what can you guys do? Um, and then eventually they gave up. They, they, you know, there wasn't anything that they could do practically. So, so they said, well, can we pray for you? And he, he said he was an atheist. But he just allowed them. He said, um, we'll, we'll pray for you. And so um, they prayed for his protection. And so that week um, he was in this car chase with some of the cartels and one of the drug guys had a, had a, a machine gun and he'd opened fire over this 
this car that the police, chief of police was in. And he says the whole car was full of bullets all over. And, um, and, 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 and the car stopped, obviously. And uh, the, the, the drug lord stopped. And just suddenly they just sped away. Right? And he was like, he was there. And he couldn't believe it. He says that doesn't happen in that city when, you know, they, they take you out completely. And he said it was so unusual that they would just speed away. And then he climbed out of the car expecting to drop to the ground because now the whole car was full of bullets. And, you know, when he stepped out, he said he, he felt fine. He, he felt the right. And then, then he looked back at his seat and he saw bullet No, he looked at the windscreen and he saw bullet holes through the windscreen. And he looked at his seat and there were bullet holes all the way in his seat. But he was perfectly fine. No, not one bullet hit him. And so he came back to Pastor Poncho and them and he said, this is amazing. You know, and he gave his life to God. <laughs> Just the fact that they aligned themselves to serve God. And so that was, that's what little bird represents to me. A saying a yes to God. A saying yes to God, we, we will just go for it. You know, we believe that you can do it. We believe that your word is powerful. We believe um, that your word is powerful towards us. So I want to read from Ezekiel 34. Then I'm going to make a couple of conclusions about that. And then we'll finish off for this morning. Verse 25. This is God speaking. And a little bit... Um, like what I was explaining this morning. Also, uh, there was this uh, shift for the Jewish nation. They were, they were really persecuted. They were really um, under the, uh, you know, the nations around them had, had authority over them, had persecuted them, had treated them very badly. But God said, because of my word now, there will be a shift. Right? And he says in verse 25, I will make a covenant of peace with them, and cause wild beasts to cease from, from the land. And they will dwell safely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. I will make them and the places all around my hill a blessing. And I will cause showers to come down in their season. There shall be showers of blessing. Then the trees of the field shall yield their fruit and the earth shall yield her increase. They shall be safe in their land and so they shall know that I am the Lord. When I've broken the bands of the yoke and delivered them from the hand of those who enslaved them, they shall no longer be a prey for the nations, nor shall beasts of the land devour them, but they will dwell safely, and no one will make them afraid. And I will raise up for them a garden of renown, and they shall no longer be consumed with hunger in the land, nor be the shame of the Gentiles anymore. Thus they shall know that I... The Lord their God am with them, and they, the house of Israel, are my people, says the Lord. And you are my flock, the flock of my pasture. You are men, and I am your God, says the Lord. I want to go back to verse um, 30. So God says that there's this whole scenario playing out. The fact that they were oppressed, the Jewish people, was, wasn't God's fault. It was because of their own sin, right? Um, but then at some point, God chooses to intervene. And then verse 30 tells us the purpose for God's intervention. It says, thus they shall know, I, the Lord their God, am with them. And they, the house of Israel, are my people. All right? So there's a, there's a relationship, a, restore, a, a restoring of a relationship that God does. He says, the reason why you went through this difficult patch it wasn't my fault, it was because of your doing, but my intervention is to restore something between us. You get what I'm saying? How often do we see this in our lives? God comes and He pulls us, He fetches us, and He says, but my restoration is so that the dynamic can be restored, so that you know that I'm your God and you're my people. Right? The relationship, that dependence um, that I mentioned earlier. You are my flock, the flock of my pastor. You are men, and I am your God. You are men. Right? Know your place. I am your God. I am the one that takes care of you. And the picture there is, 
this really beautiful um, of God saying, but I'm your shepherd, right? Um, the, the, the imagery there is the little flock, right? Little flock, little sheep, similar to the little bird, right? There's a, there's a sense of a recognition of weakness, right? But God is, is the great shepherd. So there's, there's five things that you need to accept in this process. Um, first, accept that you are little, right? Accept that you are little. Compared to God, you are little, right? Let it sink in. Accept that you are His. You belong to Him. Accept that it's His word and not your word. It's His word and not your word. Accept that it's His work in you and not your work in you. And then the last one, and this is sometimes the difficult one, accept that there is a time that He chooses. Right? Accept there's a time that He has chosen. Let's look, quickly look at um, another time that Jesus, we started off with uh, Talita Kumi, little girl that Jesus rose from the dead. Let's finish off with Lazarus. So firstly, Lazarus was Jesus' good friend, right? Jesus had tears in his eyes, right? Because of the unbelief, but it says that he had loved him much, right? The people recognized that Jesus loved Lazarus much. But I don't know about you, but the story of Lazarus can sometimes seem a little confusing because Jesus, you know, knows his friend Lazarus is not well. The report comes to him, and then Jesus says, no, 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 wait. There's some other stuff that we first need to do. Um, so you see the sovereignty of God in Jesus in that moment because he's not, he's not panicky. Who's ever seen Jesus panicky, right? Jesus is never panicky. We are panicky, right? Jesus is never panicky. God is never panicky. God is never surprised. So it takes Jesus 40 verses, three sermons, three sermons in between to get to Lazarus, right? Um, so if you were a family member of Lazarus, like Mary was, um, even if you were a disciple of Jesus with Jesus, you would be quite frustrated at that time. Jesus, what about Lazarus? Who's going to help Lazarus? And Jesus preaches another sermon, right? Who's had that in your life, <laughs> right? Jesus, can you just do this? I, it's really important. Jesus, can you see? You know, and, and let me quote God's word back at him. God, this is important to you because you said there and there and there in your word, right? We sometimes do that and God says, no, 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 wait. So in the story, Jesus Three times says, wait, 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 wait. Verse 11 of John, verse 6, it says, So when he had heard that he was sick, he stayed for two more days. Does that make sense? Right? In Jesus' equation, it does. He stayed for two more days in the place that he was. Um, from Jesus' perspective, he was moving. Right? Jesus was busy moving. He was busy um, you know, healing people. He's busy sharing God's word. So from his perspective, Jesus was moving um, from the people that were, um, had their hearts invested in Lazarus, 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 Lazarus. Um, they were frustrated, right? They were like, wait, wait, wait. Why Jesus? And you can see it. When eventually Jesus comes, you can see the frustration. He first meets with Mary, um, and then he meets with the rest of the family. And every time, they, it's like the hearts cry, Jesus, if you were just here sooner. Can you see what had happened in their hearts emotionally? Jesus, if you were just here earlier. We know you can heal. We don't know that you can resurrect. Right? We, we're convinced you can do that miracle, but we're not convinced you can do it now. Jesus you got the timing wrong, right? So there was three weights, wait, 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 and then Jesus steps in and says, Lazarus, rise up. 
You see there, the timing belongs to God, right? He chooses, and often you and I feel it's too late. Emotionally, we've given up, right? Because we thought it would be there. And then it, that time period came, nothing happened, and so now we've moved on, we've given up, right? But Jesus says, Lazarus, arise. And what happens? He stands up. Because God's word is self-sustaining, right? God's word has the capacity and the power to raise Lazarus from the dead. How much participation from Lazarus' side? Zero. Zero participation. And so God is just looking for a people that would be active participants with his word, but that have a real dependence on him and know who he is, right? And engage with this world, engage with this life, but know who their God is, right? Understand the relationship is, he is God and I am man, right? I need to step forth, but then he chooses to rise. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we thank you that you are a God that is in charge. You are the great shepherd. And God, we are the sheep. God, we recognize our role. We recognize our place, God. And we choose to embrace humility, God. We choose to recognize that the evil one the devil lifted himself up and said, but I can be like the most high. And God, we recognize that he is always at work in our hearts saying, but we can be like the most high in different forms, in different ways. But we choose to reject that now in the name of Jesus. God, we choose to reject every spirit that says to us that we can be like and we choose instead to embrace that you are God and that you are perfect towards us and that God, that you intervene as we surrender our hearts. You come and declare over us, God, that you are our God and we are your people. We lift up your Lordship. And we choose to surrender all our fears, God. We choose to cast our worries on you. I want to just ask this morning if you are here. You want to just say, God, I surrender. I recognize that it's all about you. Why don't you just stretch out your hands to the heavens? Say, Jesus, I come again. I surrender all to you. I surrender myself to your word. And I surrender myself to your ways. So, Father, we thank you, Father, for every hand that is raised to you right now. We thank you for your strength. We thank you for resurrection power. Thank you, Jesus, that you give us your word, your living word, that we would know your word, that we would experience your word as life, God. God, we recognize that your word says knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. God, we want to know your word intimately, God. We want to know your word experientially, God. Come and give us your word that we would live it. And we thank you for that which you've called us to. We just bless you, God, and we recognize our dependence on you. And we thank you that it's your word that brings the shift. I want to encourage you, as we're going to just worship now, to just where you're sitting, where you're standing, whatever 
however you're comfortable. Let's just ask God that He would release His Word over you. For some of us, He'll just remind you of something that He's already said. And then you, then you engage with God concerning His Word. I've just been so convicted that God is so faithful. Every time I'm in need, He gives me His Word. But then I receive it, but I don't engage with it. I say, okay, God, thank you. I hear your word. It's appropriate to my situation. But I don't take the next step and say, God, now, how do I live? How do I become your living word? So some of us, let's just speak to God. Some of us, maybe you don't have God's word. While every eye is closed, if that's you, why don't you just put up your hand? I want to pray for you. Would you would this morning receive from God fresh bread, manna from heaven. Hallelujah. Father, thank you for fresh bread now in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father, for the ability to hear and the ability to receive. God, that you would release your word over your son and your daughter. In the name of Jesus, God. Even as Ezekiel, he received your word, God. And it tasted like honey. Since that's what you're saying, God. You're going to give your word, and it's going to taste good, Lord. And God, we just silence every other voice. We silence every other thing that speaks. We say, God, let only your word remain as we engage with you, God, as we know you, God. So let's just speak to God. Let's just engage with Him. And if the ashes can just bring us the communion. We're going to take that together in groups. So let's just speak to God. Engage Him in a couple of minutes. After this, we're going to just quickly form groups and just share what God is saying to us.